For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. In what's being called a, quote, very Canadian issue, a beaver, or possibly beavers, chewed through a TELUS Ethernet cable that provided internet to 900 users and TV to 60 in the 2,000-person British Columbia town of Tumblr Ridge. Of course, you know Tumblr Ridge, British Columbia, because of its dinosaur tracks and the Pease Region Paleontology Research Center. Everybody knows that. Nope. This may have been an act of defiance against the sometimes extortionate rates that come with monopolized rural internet or possibly the beavers were attempting to gain connectivity to their dam. The TELUS crew found several pieces of the chewed-through cable at the mound, which, in my opinion, is charming, but, as evidence goes, is damning. According to the BBC, another Canadian town, Grenville-sur-la-Rouge, in the province of Quebec, was recently under a sort of state of emergency, as a supposed 800 beavers constructed some 200 dams around the town, which caused flooding and widespread water damage. Considering the history of Canada, Quebec, the French voyageurs, and beaver trapping, it's safe to say there are some tough old trappers rolling in their graves over this one. The Ethernet situation? Hmm, probably not so much. Hello, IT. Have you tried turning it off and on again? (laughs) This week... We've got heavy metal, whales, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as this podcast, is brought to you by Steel Power Equipment. But you already know that. Probably sick of me saying it. So here's a listener email on the subject. Cal, first off, I'm a big fan of Meat Eater and the associated brands. I've listened to every single episode of Cal's Week in Review, 
and it's perfect for going to work on Monday mornings. You should tell Chester, the investor, to look into Dogecoin. I was lucky enough to throw a couple hundred dollars into it and came out looking pretty good. Good enough, in fact, that my wife surprised me with a steel FS94 trimmer, an MS170 chainsaw, and steel wood splitter. After having them for a week of landscaping and chopping firewood, I have to admit I'm very happy you recommended a reliable company with well-made products. So thank you for sticking by good brands and spreading the word on conservation. That's from William. Thank you, William. This week, the Meat Eater crew, including myself, met up with friends Kimmy Werner, Justin Turkowski, Danny Bolton, and Jonah Marks on the island of Hawaii, the Big Island. Spearfishing was the game, and it was incredible. Surrounding yourself with kind, competent, knowledgeable people is a good start to any adventure, and this crew was on fire. Jonah is a boat captain and fisherman from generations of fishermen here on the Big Island. He's calm and cool and knows his stuff. He specializes in hand-lining tuna. Danny is a real double, maybe even triple threat type guy. He's a land racer, motorbikes to Baja trucks. Speaking of, if you have never seen the documentary From Dust to Glory, watch it. But at the same time, Danny also, on a whim, dove over 50 feet on a single breath with no flippers to retrieve a hung-up speed jig off the bottom of the ocean just while we were fishing one day. Justin Turkowski not only free dives, but does so while pushing a camera in an underwater housing, which is like the least aerodynamic thing about the size of a basketball ahead of him at all times. Kimmy Werner is the consummate teacher and athlete. She can patiently guide you through the basics of free diving and show you by example. Really incredible opportunity, and I'm just like pleased as punch to call these folks my friends. We started with pole spears, sometimes called three prongs or Hawaiian slings. It's just a large pole with a band of surgical tubing on one end and a spear on the other. You hook the tubing with your thumb, stretch it down the pole, then it's in the cocked position, and let your hand go, and hopefully spear a fish on the other end. We use this to kill or catch, however you want to say it, umamale, palani, kole, and menpachi, which all would fall under primarily a whole fish fry category. Then we worked with spear guns at greater depths for larger fish, primarily parrotfish and goatfish species, that were definitely more cagey, a little more hip to the hunt. Also, had a serious octopus chase that resulted in an octopus in the boat, but also what I was told is called a lunger trachea squeeze. Whatever you call it, I was coughing blood, which was alarming. You don't say! I get very excited over spearfishing, like a kid in a candy store. And it's hard to remember to take it slow, but at depth, all of your energy and movements are greatly exaggerated. So a little bit of movement goes a long way is what I'm trying to say. And through just like normal movements of my head, probably way too fast, I crushed some blood vessels in my throat. And yeah, you know, it didn't look that great. So I got plenty to work on in the spearfishing game, but that's what I'm here to do. Work. And speaking of work, I'm broadcasting this week from the Big Island of Hawaii, specifically in an Airbnb closet. It is sticky and sweaty and not real pretty, but, you know, that's what I'm doing for you. All right, moving on. I'm going to call this one Netfish and Chell, Asian Therapy. 
You get it? Netfish and chill? <laughs> no. Well, listen up. Tournament angler Jason Doyen, who typically ate fish four times per week, started experiencing strange symptoms throughout 2019. Extreme muscle weakness, muscle fatigue, walking around like he was drunk all the time. His gait was off, stumbling all over the place, moody, erratic, had a bad temper, a lack of focus. He was lethargic, tired, and cold. Eventually, in 2020, he was diagnosed with mercury poisoning. This comes straight from the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. Methylmercury is created by bacteria and highly organic portions of aquatic systems, such as the sediment of lakes and wetlands. Zooplankton pick up the methylmercury as they filter the water and feed on algae. When small fish eat zooplankton, the methylmercury builds up in their bodies as the fish grow and get bigger and older. Small fish are eaten by larger fish, and the concentration of methylmercury increases at each step in the aquatic food chain. It is highest in larger walleye, northern pike, and other predatory fish. Mercury is naturally occurring and is present in many lakes and rivers, but additional mercury from industrial or power emissions play the major role. For instance, the state of Minnesota boasts when the state's power utilities embarked on state-ordered efforts to reduce mercury in the mid-90s, Minnesota's mercury emissions from coal-fired power plants were about 1,850 pounds per year. As of 2017, mercury emissions from coal use is down to 211 pounds per year, so it can be done. Doyen, starting in March of 2020, went through 15 rounds of chelation therapy, which can either be administered through the ingestion of chemicals such as DMPS or unithiol, DMSA, succimer, and dithiol orally, or intravenously. Metals and minerals present in the body apparently bind to these chemicals and pass in the urine stream. If that sounds like a turnkey solution to you, uh, you may want to listen to this study. The role of chelation in the removal of inorganic arsenic and inorganic mercury published in the Journal of Medical Toxicology says, Although chelation, following chronic exposure to inorganic arsenic and inorganic mercury, may accelerate metal excretion and diminish metal burden in some organs, potential therapeutic efficacy in terms of decreased morbidity, as in death, and mortality, as in life, is largely unestablished in cases of chronic metal intoxication. Which sounds like we all end up with less metal in your system, but you may not escape the effects. You see where I got uh, netfish and chelation therapy? Huh? Hmm? It's all coming together. I know, it's clever. Anyway, this experience of ingesting chemical cocktails 15 times to pee out mercury was apparently not lost on Doyen, who started wondering why the fish consumption advisories were not made more clear and convenient, perhaps in the actual fishing regulations. This is a good question, Jason. Probably something to do with selling licenses and the cost of printing regulations. Every state has a guide to eating fish. Michigan, for example, has a guide that goes fittingly off the shape of your hand or the state of Michigan, the mitten state. An adult hand is the rough fillet equivalent of eight ounces. A palm-sized fillet is six ounces, and a rectangular palm, think of a palm minus the knuckles, is four ounces. These, quote, Michigan servings are your reference for fish consumption. An adult man of 180 pounds has a Michigan serving size of one adult hand, or 8 ounces, and you add 2 ounces of fish per any additional 20 pounds of human. 
The chart goes from do not eat to limited consumption to number of servings recommended per month. It lists species and chemical of concern. For instance, in Lake Erie, Chinook salmon are listed as limited, meaning a Michigan serving a couple times a year. Lake whitefish under 16 inches are listed as six Michigan servings per month. Lake whitefish over 16 inches are listed as limited. To add insult to injury, the state of Michigan recommends anglers trim all fat from their catch and grill, not fry. Which, you know, I can hear cholesterol heartbreak right now. As the chemicals in the fat will continue to drip out of the fish if you grill it. They'll be sealed in if you fry it. This won't help you for mercury, however, because mercury isn't stored in fat, it's stored in flesh. So, fry away. But, what about small fish? The state of Minnesota and Wisconsin, as well as parts of Michigan, have all recommended not eating rainbow smelt out of the Lake Superior, which are only three to six inches long. Quick side story, a long time ago I was admonished by my great-grandmother Betty Valine for using smelt as bait to catch northern pike. I use the word admonished there, which means to warn or reprimand firmly because it's fitting in the fact that that's what happened, and the word itself just sounds more fitting for someone of that generation. She had to have been over 90 years old at the time, which is the same age as her daughter, my grandmother, is now. Happy Mother's Day, Granny. Anyway, she couldn't understand why someone would use a fish perfect for whole frying and whole eating, guts, bones, head, and all, to feed another fish. I'll admit it is a head-scratcher. If that doesn't sound appetizing to you, it sounds appetizing to a lot of people. The Great Lakes Food Company, whose claim is... Providing their customers with the finest quality lake smelt, expertly processed to ensure its uncomparable freshness, sweet taste, and maximum nutritional value, this mercury situation could be a problem. I think most of us anglers that are inclined to keep a fish only look at the regulations. We think most likely along the lines of, ah, that stuff won't bother me. But if you start to spin in circles this summer, after your 20th fish fry, it may not be the pilsner. Getting that additive, non-natural mercury down in your home waters appears to be not only good for the health, but good for the pocketbook and the economy as well. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it 
you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on to the first ever whale roundup. Yeehaw. A completely new kind of beaked whale may have just been discovered off the coast of Baja, California. That's on the Mexico side. You may not have heard of a beaked whale because they are some of the most mysterious and difficult to find mammals in the world. They get their name from the tapered or beak-shaped front of the head, similar to a dolphin or a porpoise, and they spend almost no time close to the surface of the water where we are likely to see them. Instead, beaked whales rise briefly to the surface, take a breath, and then dive back down in search of deep water squid, deeper than any other whale species. The muscles, lungs, blood vessels, and brains of beaked whales are all adapted to conserve oxygen, and some evidence suggests that they can dive at least 4,200 meters underwater. That's more than two and a half miles, and stay submerged for close to four hours. That means that beaked whales are not exactly paddling alongside research boats, showing off their flippers, bouncing beach balls, you know that routine. Beaked whales are so mysterious that of the 23 known subspecies, scientists have been able to directly study four of them. Most of the rest have never been observed in nature. Almost everything we know about them is from bones that have washed up on shores around the world. But a group of marine biologists started patrolling the area off the west coast of Mexico last year after the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, picked up what sounded like the calls of several Perrin's beaked whales one of the varieties that has never been seen in the wild. In November 2020, this group thought they had hit the jackpot. They found what seemed like a pod of four parents' beaked whales, breaching out of the water and cruising close enough to be photographed. The scientists were elated, until they got back to the lab and studied the photos. Turns out, the tooth patterns of these whales didn't match the known tooth patterns of parents' beaked whale, and, in fact, didn't match the tooth patterns of any known beaked whales. So, were these a completely new 24th beaked whale species? The scientists had swept the water around the whales with fine nets, hoping to gather up enough sloughed skin to take genetic samples from, which doesn't sound like the most glamorous job. Maybe those of you listening who have cleaned a pool or hot tub filter could weigh in on that. 
Those genetic analyses are underway now, so we'll have more breaking beaked whale news for you before too long. A few more whale-related facts. One of the first ways people understood how deep beaked whales could dive was in the 1840s, when sailors observed the unbelievable amount of line these whales were able to pull seemingly straight down after being harpooned. People have been using harpoons to go after whales for a very long time. Spears with barbed points made of bone have been used by the Inupiat and Yupik around the Bering Strait for about 10,000 years, but it seems that the earliest known harpoon-like point, that is a spike up front and then spikes facing the other way to keep the point from pulling out, is way, way older than we thought. Scientists from Colorado State University last year identified a barbed point made of bone from present-day Tanzania that is 800,000 years old. That means that it wasn't Homo sapiens that invented the harpoon, but our ancient ancestor Homo erectus, whose brain capacity was at least 25% smaller than ours, and whose, um, uh, moxie must have been much, much larger than ours. Euthanizing beached whales is a surprisingly difficult task. When efforts to get a healthy whale back into the water have failed, or when a whale is beached because it gets too old or sick to swim, bringing a swift death is a top priority, especially because a whale's skin will blister and peel painfully in the sun, and birds will start to feed on a whale's flesh, even its eyes, before it dies. The most effective poison... Pentobarbital doesn't biodegrade, so it will pass to any scavenger that comes along to eat the whale carcass later. This is called secondary toxicity and is a big problem with poisoning in general. When people thought they were just poisoning coyotes with strychnine, for example, secondary toxicity led to the poisoning of eagles, falcons, and red-tailed hawks, who were cleaning up afterwards. But back to pentobarbital and whales. In 2011, a dog, an Australian shepherd to be exact, went into a coma after eating the flesh of a humpback whale that had been stranded in East Hampton on Long Island and euthanized with pentobarbital. The dog did recover, but only having its stomach pumped. Twice. So to avoid leaving a big heap of poison on the beach, another method to put whales out of their misery has developed in Australia, which is blowing the whales up with explosives. A couple weeks ago, we mentioned blowing up a big game carcass that a grizzly got attached to in order to disperse that attractant. In a beached whale's case, it's not quite as spectacular, but still plenty interesting. Biologists will often detonate a small amount of explosives at the base of the whale's brain. Kind of like a big tree fall hard situation. But back to spearing. Sperm whales were hunted extensively in the 1800s for their blubber, which was rendered down in the best and cleanest burning lamp oil of the time. At its peak, whale oil sold for the equivalent of $75 a gallon in today's money, which is where the phrase burning the midnight oil comes from. At $75 a gallon, the task you are doing at midnight better be important. The liquid in the sperm whale's head, in which sound reverberates through, which is how the sperm whale navigates at depth, that liquid was used as a high-heat super lubricant for machinery. But the lesser-known sperm whale commodity that is still extremely sought after today is ambergris. A-M-B-E-R-G-R-I-S, which is the mucus or vomit of male sperm whales that is rolled around the ocean sometimes for years before washing up on shore. Now, this doesn't sound like something you want to verify with your nose, but apparently the stuff smells incredibly good. 
and it's a key ingredient in many high-end perfumes and cologne. So how is this ambergris produced? Sperm whales eat a lot of squid and cuttlefish, both animals with very sharp and hard-to-digest beaks. And to protect their digestive tracts from being cut up by those beaks, the whales secrete a protective fatty substance which they later expel. Hunks of the stuff wash up on the beaches, and then enterprising hunters or civilian beachcombers find it. If you thought whale oil was expensive in its heyday, as of April 2021, ambergris was selling for up to $7,200 a pound. So the next time you're out to dinner with your honey baby, whispering sweet nothings across the table, remember that both of you smell as alluring as you do, because a sperm whale hawked up a giant loogie of fatty mucus and squid beaks a while back, and some enterprising beachcomber found this loogie and hauled it to a perfume factory. Ooh la la. Love stinks. Love stinks! That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Steel Power Equipment. Remember, if you are in the market for reliable equipment, check out SteelUSA.com and find a dealer near you. Most importantly, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal, at TheMeatEater.com, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, sent right to your door visit mauinuivenison.com that's m-a-u-i-n-u-i venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order